Welcome to Dad Up, the podcast show for dads about dads being dads. I'm your host, Brian Ward. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, I hope you enjoy listening. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. My guest today on Dad Up is Jedediah Thurner. Jedediah is a speaker, humanitarian, and transformation architect. Jedediah is passionate about empowering the church locally, nationally, and globally to fulfill God's great commission of discipling nations. Jedediah is an executive director of Missions.me, a missions organization that annually sends thousands of people on life transformation mission experiences worldwide and organizes innovative international outreaches and humanitarian campaigns. Missions.me is the organization behind the historic One Nation, One Day vision, which assembles the largest foreign missions teams in history, reaching 3.2 million people face-to-face to date. In 2013, the team launched the first One Nation, One Day event in the nation of Honduras, followed by the Dominican Republic in 2015, Nicaragua in 2017, and Peru in 2019. Jedediah and his wife have four kids, and he shares how much he loves his family and how much he realizes his family has to be his priority over anything else. Please welcome Jedediah Thurner to Dad Up. Jedediah, I appreciate you being on the show with me uh, on Dad Up. Uh, it, it, I really uh, appreciate your content and love that you're sharing. And um, I, so I'm, ex- I'm honored that you're on and excited to hear about your dad experiences. So welcome to the show, brother. Excited to be on, man. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great conversation. Awesome. Well, let's do this for people that don't know much about you. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your backstory, and then also uh, how many kids you have? Yeah, I grew up in a, a missionary's home. I lived in 100 homes before I was 25 years old. I wish I was lying, but that's a fact. <laughs> I lived in all the Hawaiian islands, but Kauai, every city in Maui, but Hana, Tahiti, New Zealand, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. Born in Seattle, then, then started claiming Seattle until the Hawks started winning. <laughs> and I uh, got married. I got married 15 years ago uh, to the love of my life, and we have four kids. I have a nine-year-old daughter, six-year-old son, three-year-old son, and a three-month-old son. And uh, at this stage of my life, I have the great privilege of running an organization called Missions.me, which does innovative international outreaches around the globe. And uh, I've been doing that very strong for the last seven years. Okay, cool. Now, just kind of reading a little bit on uh, about you, and I was kind of um, looking you up a little bit more. I noticed they refer to you as the transformation architect. <laughs> I don't know who makes up this stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, it could be out there. So, so you're not familiar with it. I, I, I read it, and I just thought it was intriguing. as transformation architect. So, yeah, I think I think probably where the the, the phraseology came up with is is really what we do is looking at catalytic moments that create sustainable transformation. So a lot of, uh, you know, there's four guys to run the org, so we're all involved in the strategy conversation. But really, when you're thinking about putting together a campaign with thousands of volunteers and tons of influencers and, you know, government buy-in and corporate sponsors, uh, there's a lot of strategy that comes into positioning everything in the right way. So that individuals win, brands win, campaign wins, but then there's also sustainable transformation. So architecting that does require, I think, some some skill set and really some uh, divine insight from heaven to make sure you're not wasting all your energy and effort. Well, cool. Um, now, kind of segueing into your dad role, we got kind of a wide range of ages, but what do you enjoy most about being a dad? I got to be honest, I love all of it. You know, I, I don't think that's every dad's answer. My wife would think I'm crazy. I love the chaos of kids. I love the schedule, you know, until COVID, you know, we're recording this right now, you know, in the context of COVID. 
But before that, I traveled a lot, about 150,000 miles a year. I was gone a lot. So for me, it was, you know, I get to come home and it's a nonstop party. So maybe I have a little less of the chaos, I guess. But I love, I mean, I love mornings. I love going out. I love the kids coming over, just molding and shaping these future world changers. I really love all of it. I got to be honest. There's not a part of parenting and raising kids that I'm, you know, exhausted by or frustrated with. And maybe that doesn't relate to a lot of our listeners, but I've just had such a joy in being a dad. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Have your kids been, has it been a struggle with them uh, through this COVID that we're going through? You know, I think, I think we've, we've, we've crossed COVID, you know, and as much as you can in this context. You know, I think the biggest challenge was my six-year-old being taught at home. You know, my nine-year-old daughter has homeschooled multiple times. My three-year-old not in school. My six-year-old's wild. I mean, he is just, just you know, he's just, he's a wild child. I use very, I'm careful with my words because you could paint him into the wrong picture. Right. You know, he's going to, he's going to make a difference in someone's life, period. You know, right now it's not always positive, but we're working on that, you know, but we've, uh, we found some other families that have been quarantining. So we've done sleepovers with them. Like we did five weekends of sleepovers just because we saw the need for our kids to be around other kids. You know, right. like it just wasn't mentally healthy for them to just only interact with their siblings. And so that provided a great reset. And uh, obviously, I've, I've never been home this much in my, my entire career. So they're also getting, this is like an answer to prayer for them. You know, with, right. with as insensitive as that sounds, because <laughs> it sounds insensitive, from their point of view, they have dad home every morning and every night, and they're loving it. How have, you, how have your kids dealt with the adversity as far as going to church and all that? Um, the church is not reopening yet, or at least some anyways. Um, how have they dealt with that? You know, we've made it a conscious effort to be responsible for raising our kids. You know, I, I feel like it's very easy to just have a default parenting posture, which is I go to a great school, they're educating my kids. I go to a great church, they're discipling my kids. But at the end of the day, discipling, raising, educating, you know, teaching in any context, I, I, me and my wife have taken that as a responsibility. So everything else, to be honest, is a supplement. It's an addition to what we're doing. It's not the only. And so for us, church exists in our home, no matter if we go to church or not. Now, they miss going, a big deal to them. You know, we're doing kids' church online. You know, we're we're running our own devotionals, you know, but I'm sure they're excited to get back in that context. But this even more so just proved what me and my wife felt years ago, which is we got to be responsible. You know, if, if they get revelation in an encounter from a church experience how awesome but we have to make sure we provide that regardless if they have it at church you know how awesome they're in a private school that has religious values and foundations but we have to make sure that our values you know get communicated more than an educator's values you know so i think there's been a challenge but at the same time because of our parenting style it's actually been a great fit that's awesome. Now, um, how about the challenges? I know, you, I mean, you're saying you love every part of it and uh, you've enjoyed being home all these, the last, you know, couple months. What challenges have you, have you faced over the years with your kids? Yeah, I think, I think something I wish I knew sooner was, I, you know, because my life, you know, I run a nonprofit to hundreds of thousands of millions of people get impacted because of what we do. You know, it's, it's very easy to give your kids what's left and not give yeah. them your best and also give the world what you don't give your family. So I know 
early on when we sold businesses and chose this lifestyle as not just a calling, but also a career, you know, we wanted to make sure right off the bat from the beginning that I was not going to give the world what I didn't give my family. So I would, I remember, I'll be, I'll be honest, Brian, not even just in the kids department, but in my spouse department, you know, I was budgeting my wife so that we could bless people. And I was giving people tons of my time, tons of my energy, tons of my resources. And then I would put my family on a budget, you know, and it was almost like they got a budgeted version of my time. They got a budgeted version of resources. And I sat there and I said, you know, first of all, when it comes to God and his kingdom, we're not dealing with a limited pie, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I could be generous to people, I should be more generous to my wife and kids. If I can Mm -hmm. give the world my time, I should be more generous to my time to my wife and kids. So I've made it a priority that I'm never going to give the world what I don't give my family. And I'm always going to make sure I give them my best, not, not what's left. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is massively intentional. Every day I'm driving home or flying home and I could be exhausted. I mean, I could have just done, could have just communicated 12 times in seven days in South Africa, flew on a 24 hour flight. The moment I pull into that house, I'm going to fully caffeinate and act like I'm, I have tons of energy. I'm going to fake it. <laughs> and I'm just going to make sure they know I'm giving them my best, you know? Okay. And then I think something that I, I, I've also learned is, you know, every kid has a different love language, you know, for people listening, if you haven't read the book, the five love languages, I suggest reading it because every, every person in your life has a different love language. And so it's so easy to give your kids what you think you want or give your spouse what you would want, but realizing they all have something different. So the moment I identified that, then I could make sure I'm giving them all of that. So I think that, you know, when, even when I travel, Brian, people always ask about my wife and kids because that's what people are worried about. And I always say the moment I stop thinking about them in this context is the moment I'm going to be in trouble as I leave my family. But what I, what I tell people is, hey, just, you know, every trip, every conversation, every initiative that we say yes to as a family, I make sure there's insane agreement, you know, from our family. And I make sure that we're all on the same page and that I'm giving them the love language that they need to be fed by. And that's something that I I just wish I knew better. I I, I knew sooner. I think we're doing it well now, but it's constantly intentionally thinking about it. You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's really probably where the challenges have been and it's always just around time. Yeah. uh, You bring up a good point. You know, a lot of dads um, tend to work these busy lives with these busy schedules with their careers and all that. And they do give their family the leftovers. And it's such a backwards way of, of, of living as far as raising a family. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it said that, you know, your legacy is built in the home, not outside the home. And um, we have to be, we have to be aware of that when, especially with young kids. So that's awesome that you're, you're, you're aware of it. Yeah. Um, one thing I've done too, which I suggest to everyone is you've got to have times at home. You don't have your phone on or on you. Yep. So I know it's probably when my nine-year-old daughter was five, she looked at me and she said, dad, I wish you didn't have a phone. And this was mm. four years ago. And I was not in a good cycle. It was a massive out of balance. And I remember my five-year-old going, I wish you didn't have a phone. And I realized like this thing had become the enemy. Mm. And it was also everyone was aware it was dominating my attention. So now when I go home, I literally put my phone down. Like every time I come home, I put my phone on the counter. I don't pick it up. I personally do not look at it. I'm not going to check it again. So kids go to bed. And like that alone, it's probably done, <laughs> done miracles in, in my marriage and my family alone 
by simply just not having the device on you. Right. Can you imagine the amount of hours that you've given back to your family just by putting the phone down? The amount of hours. Yeah, and, and for my family, we all have the same love language. It's not even quality time. It's quality attention. Mm-hmm. So the phone, even if I'm just checking a text, checking a sports score, you know, like it doesn't even have to be work-related. It's like it was a, it, it's a distraction from them seeing me looking at them. You know, so like I I can't just be in the room with them during a movie. I got to be like watching them watch the movie. (laughs) I can't even watch the movie because they really don't want me next to them. They want me watching them. Right. You know, so (laughs) it's been a a game changer. That's awesome. Cool. Well, what what way did your life change when you became a dad? It's a really good question. You know, I I don't I think because I had a great dad. You know, I had I, my dad so alive, turned 70 uh, two weeks ago. He's my hero, one of my best friends. You know, like, I think it didn't, it didn't change much because I was so ready for it. You know, like, I don't think my lifestyle changed, my values changed. Obviously, my responsibilities changed. But for me, I think I was that exact same person. Obviously, every time you have a kid, for those watching that maybe are listening that don't have a kid yet, there's, there's this part of your heart that's developed every time. So you feel like you could never love your second kid as much as your first, your third kid as much as your first two, your fourth as much as your first three. But it's 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 literally it's, it gives such a great parallel to God, right? It says that there's mm-hmm. heights, breadths, widths, and depths to His love. There's dimensions to love. So every time there's a new kid, there's this new part of your heart that develops this new love chamber that didn't exist. So you don't run out of loving. So I think that's that's probably the biggest change is just that I think the increase in the capacity to care, to love, you know, to have empathy, you know, like because there's just new side of you of sensitivity that opens up with each kid that you didn't have before. I would agree that the love doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily grow, but it's like a newfound love for each one. And um, I would agree. It's something that we don't realize until you have kids. You just don't you don't realize that that real love exists until the day that you have that first child. And then it just multiplies from there. Exactly. Now you have a wide range of kids. So obviously the discipline, the discipline side of things is going to change from each kid. And obviously they each have their own, their own love languages, but what, how do you guys, how do you and your wife deal with discipline as, as far as the ages go for your, for your kids? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, especially at all these ages, I think nine years and younger, right? Like we're very, and discipline's massive, you know, because at this, these are these developmental years where 10, 11, 12, 13, like they're, they're living off of everything you've poured into them, you know? So we're very big on uh, discipline through all ages. Um, obviously, every parent knows that each kid responds to discipline differently. So some kids really respond to grounding or something being taken away or a reward to offset. Um, my six-year-old responds to getting, you know, to getting spanked. Like he has to get all the other things doesn't matter to him. Like he has to have a moment where he gets spanked, he resets, he hugs dad, we pray together, and then he he goes on, you know, then he like goes back right. to normal. But my daughter wouldn't respond the same way, you know, and my three-year-old's back and forth, you know. So we're just very big uh, at these developmental ages on them knowing that we're, we're going to be consistent. We're going to hold you to what we say we're going to hold you to. And, and obviously having a, I think discipline, the most important thing, at least for me, is having a united front with my spouse, mm-hmm. you know, so I can't be out in front of her or vice versa. It's like, we have to agree 
we usually talk about punishments before we give them. And I think that's what a lot of parents don't do when they discipline. It's like their, re- their discipline is a, re- in a reaction. You did wrong. I'm now flipping out and I'm angry and I'm over. Like, that's not how I operate. Like, I'm cool conversation. Half the time I talk to my kids about what they did, not when they're getting disciplined because there's so much emotion involved. It's like there's no logic with a six-year-old you know, when he's just hit his brother and he knows he's going to get in trouble and he's crying. It's like, you can't get them to process that. I usually have those conversations hours later when they're mellow and like, Hey, what were you doing there? Cause now they can process differently. So that would be one of our things to discipline. I'd also say what we're big on is not just the discipline side of it, but the value side of it. So in our family, we have culture points. That's probably something that we're massive on. Like, I just know that, you know, no one ends up to a desired destination by default. Anyone who ends up at a destination they want is always by design. So I can expect my kids just to pick up the values that I live my life through. It's almost like a lens in which I look at life through. I have to instill that into them. So we have family values. We stay as a family. They all repeat after me. So if I, if I was to have my nine-year-old on or my six-year-old, I would say teamwork. And they would say makes the dream work. I would say leaders, and they would say our learners. I would say generosity, and they would say is a lifestyle. I'd say honor, and they would respond is for everyone. Family is forever. Because we love Jesus, we love people. And the reason why these values are so great is every disciplinary moment, I'm bringing back in a value. So you hurt your brother. Hey, here's why we don't hurt your brothers, because family's forever. You know, it's a, it's a teaching moment, but I'm using the value. Hey, we're getting our offerings ready. Or we're blessing a family. You know, last year we gave a car away. You know, we gave away our car. We got a new car, owned it debt-free. My wife said I felt to give it away. We give it to a family and we sit down with our kids and we say, guys, you know why we're doing this? Because generosity is, is a lifestyle. And I go, exactly. We don't have to give the car. We could sell it. But this value is connected to this action. You know, hey, dad, getting on a plane to go communicate about Jesus. Why are we doing this? Well, because we love Jesus. We love people. You know, yeah, that's why we're doing it. So for me, I've had these core values. It's the values I live by that I've taught my kids. And all of our disciplinary teaching moments are usually connected to a value. You know, Jedediah, that's the first I've heard of somebody doing that. And I absolutely love that. That is fantastic that you're doing that with the kids. Yeah, that's great. I mean, just, it's just, it's really cool, man. I really like that. I wish I would have known or thought about something like that. When my kids were younger and, and uh, you know, they're now adults, but um, that's just so cool. That's awesome that you're doing that. Well, we were doing it for our organization. You know, at a period of time, we helped run a church. We had culture points on the walls of the church. And it's like, hey, we're making our vision very clear for people, right? Because I think it was uh, one of my great pastor friends said, if you don't tell a person vision of your church within the first five minutes, they'll determine it for you. So it's like, I, 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 we were doing it for organizations. I was like, why would I not do this for my family? If I want an right. adult to have this value, I should start instilling it in my kids now. Right. You know? and, and really for me, these are the lenses in which I look at life through. You know, So I think a lot of times families will have a goal, but a goal is off in the distance. A goal has a lot of distance for distraction, right? Like, hey, as a family, we're going to do this a year from now, or we're going to give this away five years from now. Yeah, there's so much distance, but these values are not a goal. These values are the way you look at every aspect of life. So it's more like lenses you're putting on. So it's really a it's really it's it's really a practice in setting your kids up to see the world the way you would want them to see it. That's that's so cool, Jenna. I I love that, man. I love that. That's awesome. Now, um, 
when it comes to uh, your kids and sports, are they into sports or anything? My oldest has massive athletic ability. She can hit everything, shoot everything. My six-year-old doesn't really care at all right now. He's not, I mean, I can't get him to sign up for surf camp. He said no to soccer. I mean, he just, he's not wanting to do anything. He's like, I, I know what you're really trying to do. So it's, I, I don't know where it's, he doesn't want to, doesn't want to shoot hoops. My three-year-old, I don't know yet. Um, yeah. But my nine-year-old, she's, she's done all organized sports from soccer to softball to gymnastics. She loves all of it. That's cool. Yeah, every kid's different, you know. Some kids, I mean, maybe your son's in, you know, has a kind of an artistic side, or maybe uh, you know, acting or drama or something like that is is more his style. Who knows? But uh, they all have their own uh, their own personalities. My two boys gravitated. You know, we wanted them to be a part of something outside of school, just to kind of get that social interaction with other kids. And it didn't have to be sports, but that's kind of what they gravitated towards. So my kids played sports there there all the way through high school. And I've had the opportunity to coach them since they were four years old, all the way up through high school. And the varsity, I'm the assistant coach, varsity coach on my son's basketball team in high school. So it's a, it's been a great opportunity for me to get to be with them and kind of interact with them, and at the same time uh, have some fun playing some games. So um, that's cool. Yeah, I, I love I love the organized sports. Just you know, coaching, teamwork, ethics. You know, discipline, execution. I played college sports, you know, so I, I definitely resonate. I also know for me, like, I played basketball my whole life. That was my love. I didn't play any other sport until I was a sophomore in high school. Then I started playing football. Football got me a full ride scholarship to college. You know, I played college football. I, I, I never played my whole life, you know, and all of a sudden I'm playing collegiate sports and I'm paid to do it. And I didn't have a dad who pushed me anyway. So I've kind of taken the stance of I'm just going to continue to facilitate passion. You know, so if you're into karate, let's do it. If you're into golf, let's do it. I'd love you to like my passion too, so I can do a little bit of it. But at the end of the day, I've seen kids, you know, be in organized sports and have all the athletic ability, get to high school, and they're burned out. You know, I've seen other kids that they made it to the next level because they went through all the you know, all of those years of sports. And then I got my story, which I picked up a sport, you know, as a sophomore and suddenly I got the scholarship, I got a scholarship to play it, you know? So I don't feel the pressure. I like it for the organization side. When it comes to the athletic development, I know personally that could happen at any moment. You could turn the corner, get passionate about something and move towards it. And I just want to facilitate passion because I'm living proof. You never know where your kid's going to land and what's actually going to take their passion and attention more than a summer, but last for years. Well, you'll appreciate this then. My, uh, both my boys gravitated towards basketball. They played baseball and, and my oldest son played soccer a little bit, but um, basketball was really their, their love. They loved it. And uh, they played basketball all through high school. And my younger son, um, he got a scholarship to play college basketball for Hope International University, which is in Fullerton. Oh. Um, yep. and, uh, so he's going to be, yeah, so he's, uh, he, you know, he just graduated high school. So he's starting in the fall, hopefully, depending on, on how everything goes out with the, uh, with this COVID thing. But, uh, yeah, he's going to be playing college basketball. So he's excited about it. So awesome. Yeah. Kind of one thing, what do you wish you knew before you had kids that you know now? I mean, I don't, I think I have time, you know, maybe the question, I'm trying to answer the question face value. You know, it's like, I'm still. I'm on this never ending journey of not arriving as a parent, you know? So I feel like there's 
if I, if I know it now, I, I'm kind of still okay. But I think what I've learned, and maybe I wish I, 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 I guess here's a better way I'd answer it. Here, here's what I think I wish guys would know. I mean, things that I want to do always is continue to create a heart-to-heart connection with my kids through communication. And I want to put them in an environment to encounter God. And I think that's the big thing a lot of parents, it's like, at the end of the day, I can talk to them about my relationship with God. I can introduce them into the God that I've experienced and I've, you know, I've encountered. But the best thing I can do is put them in an environment where they can have their own encounter. So whether that's at a kid's camp, whether that's a missions trip, whether that's a small group, whether that's the right church on Sundays, you know, I just want to put them in environments where they're going to be able to experience God, hear God for their own. And anytime I've seen kids that are on a collision course with destruction, right? You've got that teenager who's, you know, doing everything wrong. You know, he's confiscated phones or doing drugs. At the end of the day, you know, the only thing that's going to turn them back is a consistent conversation where I'm connecting them to my heart, no matter how disconnected they may feel, and them being in environments where God can speak to them. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I look at my life, I had, I have undeniable encounters with God that have shaped my whole life. I can point to these moments and it wasn't my dad's faith, my mom's faith, my pastor's faith. It was my own experience. And if I don't give that to a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, I mean, when they're 20, they're never going to know what it's like to know God, to encounter God. And they're also not going to have, I mean, anyone could be logically convinced of something. That same person can also be logically unconvinced of something. You know, right. but that encounter is that undisputable, you know, cannot be taken away beyond scripture. It's that type of moment. So I, I, I probably would have started doing that sooner. You know, now I'm aware of it. But when even my kids are younger, I would have pushed earlier, four or five years old, to be in encounter environments. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think I would have I would have also known I would I wish I would have took my kids on the journey sooner. I'm doing that now. In the last few years are on the journey, but there's so much of what I was doing. I wasn't explaining, you yeah. know? So I, for example, I'm traveling, right? I didn't want them to see dad leaving. I want them to see dad loving. So I had to take them on the journey of the why, because they know what the what is. The what is your job takes you away five days a week. And that's your normal schedule. The why is you're gone 10 days a month. That was me. I mean, the what we know the what. But the what can actually put a negative taste in a kid's mouth if they don't know the why. And I grew up in missionary, you know, missionary parents who did so many crazy things. They were great things, but they didn't bring me into all the why, which created at times a frustration with God, a frustration with church, a frustration with leadership, a frustration with ministry, because I didn't know all the whys. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm big on taking the kids into the journey, which takes time, right? It's, it's time. Yeah. And I wish I would have started bringing them to that conversation sooner when they were younger and constantly putting them in environments they can encounter God. Um, that makes sense. But let me ask you this. What would you tell parents that, you know, sometimes I've seen it where kids, they get into those teenage years, maybe those late teenage years, and they start to drift from God. Now, they could have been raised in a home where they've gone to church every weekend, and then maybe they're even in private school, private Christian school or whatever. But as they grow older and they start to have these other outside influences impacting them, they tend to drift from Christ. So, and then they start refusing to go to church and don't, you know, don't really want to follow the word, don't read the Bible, don't pray, all those kinds of things. What would you tell parents that are going through that kind of struggle with their teenagers? 
I'm not, I, I can only live through the other friends that I have teenagers because I don't have them yet, you know? And I would sit there and I go, those are the moments where all of the other things you've done, you're praying into and praying to pay off. You know, I, I know that the word of God never returns void. You know, that's the reality. So everything I've poured into them, I have to, in those, in those periods of time, pray that that's the stuff that comes out. Obviously, you're praying for the right friends. You're praying for protection. And there is periods of time, to be honest, all you can do is pray for your kids and talk to them. That's it, mm-hmm. right? Pray to them, talk to them. And you have to then trust God, you know? And for some people, trusting God starts when their kid's 12. For some people, trusting God with their kid is when their kid leaves to college, you know? And you're like, I knew every minute of every day of everything you're doing, and now you're gone. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing or when you're doing it. Um, but I have to trust God. You know, it's God that turns hearts. It's God that reminds people of who he is. It's God that his kindness and goodness that leads people to repentance. You know, so I would do that. And then, of course, as you've heard me say, I'm just so big in the conversation. I'm going after the heart of my kids. I'm also a communicator, so maybe it's easier for me. But I'm constantly going to not what you're doing, but what's going on inside of you. Right. You know, so even if those years where the kid's like, man, I'm not into God, like, I'm not the one that's going to force, like, if we all go to church, we're all going, if you're 16, like, we're all going, but I'm not going to force, unless I feel like this is the one I have to, because I need that encounter with this kid, like, hey, I know you don't want to go to that youth conference, but I'm paying for you to go, and you're going to go, and guess what, my parents did that to me many times, and I had encounters, you know, I've had multiple moments where I was running the wrong course, and my mom was just praying and then God showed up. Right. So I I think for me, it's, you know, I'm just not big on forcing because God doesn't force himself on people. And I think the moment you start forcing your kids to raise their hand, forcing your kids to pray, forcing their kids to serve, you know, and they're in their teenage years, it usually creates more resistance. Now I would say every case is different, right? But for those parents, I would say that's the time to pray, protect who their friends are, you know, the things you can control, right? You can't control your kid, can't control what he says, can't control what he's doing at school. I can't control who his friends are to an extent. You know, I can't control, like my in-laws, for example, they wanted all of my wife's friends to be around them. So they made their house the playhouse. So they had the house that all the kids came over because they concluded, I want to see my my friend, I want to see my kids' friends in front of me. I don't want them doing this at another house. You know, so they just made their house the party house to create an environment where they, they were around who their friends were. And then they could talk to their friends and help their friends out. Yeah. You know, so I think when you have a teenager running hard from God, the only answer is God, yeah. right? I mean, that's the only answer. And that's where God has to step in. And we got to trust. God's ability to journey someone who doesn't know him just as much as his ability to journey someone who does know him. I completely agree. And I'm glad you said that. Awesome. Let's see one more question for you. And then I'll let you go. What, um, if I were to ask your kids to tell me about you, what would you hope your kids would say about you? I know what they're saying now, you know, so what my kids are saying now, I, I, I'm glad they're saying it. You know, dad loves us more than anything to a default that almost gives us everything we want, which I don't like, but there's parts of it that are true. You know, when you grow up without the resources as a missionary's kid, and then when you have them, it's like you want to give the kids everything you you want it, you know, that right. you could have. Um, you know, so they probably think dad's a big perpetual party, which is good for <laughs> most of the part, but not 
at the end, I mean, I, I, I want them to say that I love their mom even more than them. You know, I want that yeah. to be real to them, although it's not a fact, you know, but that there's something unique, you know, about our relationship. You know, when I grew up and I was really disrespectful to my mom, my dad would sit me down and he would actually say, don't you ever talk to my wife like that? He actually, he actually said, I know she's your mother, but there's a higher value. She's my wife. And now you're messing with dad's wife, not your mom. <laughs> and I remember that, like, that changed, that changed how I conversated with my mom, you know? So I want them to see, I want them to see such a high respect, value, admiration, and honor from me towards their mother. I love them to see that as something that's unique, you know? And, and really that dad, you know, that dad, Dad wants to help everyone win. I love, as we talked before we started recording, you know, I love them to see them have a father who fights to help everyone in his life win. Get ahead, be the best person they could be, discover their purpose, uncover their divine design. You know, I, I want them to, them to say, hey, my dad helps a lot of people, you know, and we're, we're, we're more important. <laughs> you know, it's like he's helping everyone, but we're even more important in his mind. Well, that's awesome. I, I'm sure that's exactly what they say. And, and uh, I'm sure you're getting it done and you're making it work. And that's great. Well, look, my listeners want to look you up, kind of learn a little bit more about you. Where can they find you? Uh, what kind of resources they can they, can I look at to look you up and learn about you? And then also, what do you have going on this year that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think of someone, I mean, you can Instagram super easy. I'm probably on that the most, just Jedediah Therner. I had Jedediah Thurner, JedediahThurner.com. Um, our organization's missions.me, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S dot M-E, um, which you can find out. And then uh, what I'm excited about right now is we got a we got a pretty big, massive campaign happening stateside, our first stateside campaign uh, launching this summer in Los Angeles. It's called One Day LA. You can go to OneDayLA.com. Uh, we're mobilizing 20,000 missionaries going to serve the city with 1 million hours of service. We launched this summer and it's a year long campaign, which ends in a stadium moment next year. The movement's called love has no limits. Uh, we're going to do some amazing things with foster care, with incarceration and with homelessness and uh, really putting really the goal is to put on the greatest display of irrational love the city's ever experienced. So there's hundreds of churches involved, hundreds of, hundreds of nonprofits, um, it's going to be the labor of love for, for the next 15 months of my life. That's awesome. That's cool. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that then. And I'll certainly, certainly be checking that out for sure. Such so, an look, honor to be on. And I, and I just say this to all the listeners out there, you know, whether you're, you had a good dad or a bad dad or no dad, or whether you're a good dad right now, a bad dad or no dad. <laughs> the reality is, is that we're just one choice away from being a great parent. You know, everyone's just one choice away from being a great parent. It's it's possible. Uh, there's a lot of listeners out there that are having to break a destructive cycle of poor, bad parenting. You know, a lot of families, a lot of kids just grown up without a dad respecting a mom, without a father figure, without a mother figure. And now you're having to lead without a reference point. And the beautiful thing is the guide for us as believers is not just our physical dad, it's our supernatural dad. You know, we have a God who's just set such a great standard of what it looks like. And one choice to follow him, one choice to be led by him is one choice closer to being a great parent. You know, so it's it's possible for everyone. It's absolutely attainable. And it's I would just say it's worth it. Out of all the things we put energy and effort for, that we put intentionality behind, 
parenting should take the cake and be first and foremost because it's, it's success is what you produce, but greatness is what you reproduce, which is why success lives in lifetimes, but greatness lives in legacies. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be successful. I want to be great. And if I'm going to be great, it's not because what I've done, it's what I've reproduced in my kids and what they do that determines if I, if I achieve that or not. Awesome. That's an awesome uh, message, Jedediah. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your experiences with me and also the things that you've got going on. I feel like I got a few friends, so I will certainly be staying in touch with you. But um, I really appreciate you being on, brother. I really do. We did it, man. Let's be friends. I'd love to be friends. You got my number as you're pioneering this thing, thinking about ideas. Feel free to text me, bug me. Um, let's help you win. Awesome. Well, you have a blessed day. I really appreciate the call, man. Have a good day. Thank you, Brian. Loved it, man. Uh, Loved the combo. Right. Thank you, bro. Thank you again to Jedediah for talking with me on Dad Up. Jedediah shares that his kids get his full attention, and he understands that each of his kids have a different love language. Jedediah represents the Dad Up community very well. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show, and as I said before, please subscribe. It is also important that you share the show with others. The only way the show continues to get noticed is if you're sharing and talking about it. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest yourself, please let me know. You can message me on my Instagram page at datappodcast or email me at dataptribe at gmail.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian Ward. Thanks for listening. This is Dad Up.